This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Fuel Me Once. Shame on you, fuel me twice, shame on me. That title from James Franklin on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rompits. How's it going there, Matt? Uh, it's going great. You know, we have so many exciting things to talk about today. Yeah, there was loads of talking points. It was a race that has divided people uh, between generally entertaining and, oh no, it's Paul Ricard again. But you have to say that the midfield shone through and, and really showed us something today. Yeah, and more is the pity that it wasn't all necessarily captured immediately on television for the excitement of the viewer at home. No, this is the most I've watched uh, an F1 broadcast after the race has ended because there was just loads of, hey, I mean, what happened? We were tracking Perez for ages. We didn't get to see that final overtake. Signs, I didn't find that out till like 30 minutes later that he'd managed to get into the points. Uh, so we do have a fun race review coming up for you. To be clear, though, we are not going to do a championship review. Obviously, some overall championship points will get mentioned, but we're going to come back here next week and do a full season roundup. Uh, just to tell you first that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by PR guru and journalist Chris Stevens. Chris, you're on the this is just about nearly as bad as Paul Ricard fence. I wouldn't say it's that bad, uh, especially considering we had a few really, really bad races at the beginning of the season. Um, but I, I don't think I've shied away from the fact on this show that I don't like the Yas Marina circuit. And uh, it would be one of the first ones I'd struck off the calendar. Your opinion is valid and we shall certainly hash that out. We're also joined by another American making his debut on Missed Apex podcast, specifically 
to curse Ferrari, it's Ferrari fan Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Uh, it's been going better, getting over a bad cold, but um, yeah, I'm here and thanks to everybody for showing up for the live stream. The second you were announced uh, that you were going to be on the show, the, the Ferrari disaster started. You are personally responsible for that. How does that make you feel? Oh, I'm quite used to it by now. Um, I still think I'm carrying on with the, the Ferexit strategy, uh, planning on, on switching fandom to Red Bull as of next year. So, um, if Ferrari continue to be cursed, you can, uh, stop <laughs> blaming me. I will send cease and desist letters. And, uh, if, Next year finally is Ferrari's year. I'll just jump back on the bandwagon like nothing ever happens. It's a bold tactic. Let's see how it works out. Let's move on to the action. Quite a bit of action in the pre-race and qualifying. Firstly, we had a strange incident that I'm only going to touch on uh, because... Mist Apex over the winter is going to start developing its rules for racing. Uh, so when we saw the incident between Bottas and Grosjean, which was a really kind of aggressive incident, wasn't it, Matt, for for a practice session, we looked at that and we kind of assessed that against our lane system, the way we talk about whose fault it is, even though it wasn't in the context of the race, it was a strangely racy incident. Yeah, I think in a race we might have even come to different conclusions, but um, for free practice, it was unusual for him to wait that late to, to make the move on Grosjean. Now, let's be clear, Botas made the move on Grosjean, Grosjean turned in on Botas, and there was contact. And crucially, it destroyed the floor that Grosjean was running that had made him so fast up until that very point in the entire weekend. I, I had a question for you guys uh, to to test my memory a little bit. I feel like I was listening to Diaries of an F1 Boss on Missed Apex Podcast with Matthew Carter. And I believe Matthew Carter said that floors were cheap. Did he not? I, I guess I am surprised if floors are cheap and quite replaceable that they did not have a, another one of the same uh, of the same design. Uh, well, we did a bit of a chat in Slack about it, and it was an experimental design they brought to test at the track, but it had worked so well, they decided to run it on Romain's car before, of course, you broke it. And uh, unfortunate, obviously, for Haas, but what was interesting was that I think we, we felt that if that had been a race scenario, actually, it's a good move by Bottas, and we were assessing whether Grosjean was wrong uh, to turn in. And actually looking at the overheads, they were side by side for a lot longer than you would have initially thought. So it looked like at first Bottas had come from nowhere, but actually they were alongside for quite a while. And I think if it was a race scenario, we'd have said, oh, yeah, Grosjean, you need to yield that. You need to leave a car's width on the inside and see if he can make the corner. However, it's a weird one for practice, isn't it? You say, well, Bottas, actually, what are you doing? You know, Grosjean, you know, you can't get any points in practice. What are you doing? Yeah. And, and to me, that's always the balance between the lane system and how much you hold the drivers to account for their judgment in these situations. When it goes right, it's the most exciting thing you've ever seen. Wheel to wheel, turn to turn to turn. But when it goes wrong, it's just tears and carbon fiber. But I think for our rules, I think we're basically saying what we would do if we were stewards. So when we develop this, there'll be two factors. There'll be one, what do we as stewards say? But there's still, there's still another element of judgment 
which would be what would the team principal say? So it's it's that old uh, you know British Empire joke where Britas is crossing on a zebra crossing. You know he gets hit by the car, but then he says, "Ah, but it was my right of way." So you know you could be technically within the rules, but really, why jump out in front of a in front of a speeding car? So Bottas gets that engine penalty, and uh, the only other bit of pre-qualifying news is Vettel. Matt made a ridiculous decision. A ridiculous decision before the race. Yep. Baby daddy all over again. Why? He's already got two. Why? Wife is bored at home? I don't know. No, that's a terrible thing to say. (laughs) Chris. As a PR, I must commend uh, Ferrari's strategy of uh, having uh, Sebastian Vettel have a third kid so that he's excused from media duties to avoid questions about uh, the Leclerc crash in Brazil. That was top-notch strategy. That is Inception PR. It is turtles all the way down. But yeah, with the rumours all weekend that perhaps Sebastian Vettel won't be returning to Formula One next season, coupled with Mr. Apex's uh, failed rumour that I tried to start, that Haas were told not to sign Nico Hulkenberg, they think that the chess pieces are starting to move into place. I would say Hulkenberg 2020 Ferrari. So I was uh, thinking about this while watching the race today and about just how Seb was going about that race. You know, he complained about uh, Albon on the radio for sticking his nose in in an overtaker. How dare he? And the, the lazy spin he had in qualifying, just yet another mistake. And I was thinking, I believe less more than ever that we'll see him on the grid in 2021 and even start to question if he'll be on the grid in, in 2020. There could be a, a Rosberg-like scenario where he suddenly retires over the uh, over the winter. It will be an interesting thing to look out for, but I think it, you're right, it's not a coincidence. Third kid and uh, another bad weekend. I think that is a lesson to all the men around the world. If you're listening, if you don't have kids now, yes, your lady is very pretty, but for goodness sake, put her down. Babies are not worth it, Nick. Just get a really good Netflix account and play golf. I was actually thinking that you were mostly talking directly to me. Like you're, you're we're broadcasting and we're yeah. putting this out on the podcast, but yeah. you're talking to me. I please, somebody listen to me. I told Catman not to do it. Now his life's terrible. I told, oh, never mind, Chris. I am. Um, I also think as well that we've been talking a, a lot more now this year in particular with the with the increase in the the number of races that we're doing, how compact the calendar is getting. Um, you know, we were talking about having an, an, an A and a B team for like triple headers. Um, the, yeah. we're, we're starting to talk more about how the Formula One championship affects people's personal lives. And, you know, we had news this week that Valtteri Bottas is getting divorced, which he cited a, a reason for that being that work is very very demanding and it affects yep. your personal life yeah, it will do rosberg retired because you know he became a father and he wanted to spend time you know with with his family and his missus didn't want him to race cars anymore which i think is fair enough when you become a father and and now seb with a third kid it all just seems to click a little too much uh mark in the chat room says how many tenths is that third baby worth i think i think three tenths is is actually is actually reasonable um nick i just want to talk to you about um sebastian vettel because i've i've actually starting to get a little bit of sympathy for some of the spins especially this year because they all seem to have been <laughs> you're laughing already uh, they all seem to have um, this is genuine you stop being so suspicious i'm i'm genuinely 
throwing you a, a Vettel olive branch here. I know you genuinely like Sebastian Vettel. All the spins seem to have been under acceleration in low speed corners. So, you know, when you're putting the most power down from no traction. So here in, in sector three, Abu Dhabi, there was one in Monza. I think it was Bahrain as well, Hamilton, uh, following Hamilton. It's always getting back on that power. So the first thing that struck me was, well, it's a lot harder without a double diffuser, but surely he'd have got over that. I'm just wondering if there is a characteristic of this Ferrari that just doesn't like having, you know, being slow, turning, and then nailing the throttle. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I mean, it seems like they've clearly gone for the high speed, uh, you know, low drag philosophy, try to um, get out in front at all costs, legal or otherwise, in qualifying, perhaps. <laughs> So that you can have track position uh, during the race. And yeah, it, it wouldn't just be uh, moving from a Red Bull with a double diffuser. It would be quite a dramatic uh, change in the entire philosophy that uh, obviously doesn't seem to suit him. Um, surprising that we haven't seen Leclerc spin even once like that. So it does seem to be a driver error. It's um, increasingly, increasingly difficult to, to defend. I was laughing because you were saying you had some sympathy and I thought what you were going to say is, but not today <laughs> or not yesterday because yesterday was uh, amateur hour. I mean, what was that? Chris. Yeah, remember Raikkonen had uh, issues, very similar issues in the earlier years of the turbo hybrid era. But, and again, getting on uh, power, even spinning at the same corners that, that Seb had, uh, especially in Bahrain. But I am, I am a little bit surprised we don't see it more often. As much as we talk about how much downforce uh, that these cars have these days and how fat those rear tires are, they should be able to put power down pretty easily. But we are talking the thick end of a thousand horsepower, and you know the electrical energy as well, which is just instant torque. So it's not like it even builds up; it's just straight away there. So I am surprised we don't see it a little bit uh, more often. Uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll see when Lewis Hamilton is there in, in 2021. We'll see whether he's able to apply the throttle with any more luck. Oh, more on those rumours, more on those rumours over the winter, I'm sure. But Chris, I what, I missed Q3. I missed Q3. All I saw of Q3 was your exasperated messages of, oh no, Ferrari have done it again. Uh, just quickly explain to me what happened in Q3 to Ferrari. Yeah, they sent their drivers out too late and the Claire missed the flag. That's... Uh, Surely rule one is be on the racetrack. Yeah, I, they didn't know so much send their drivers out too late as the drivers ahead of them slowed down more than they expected. And in this case, uh, Leclerc, who could have just sped up, chose not to, so as not to upset his teammate. And thus he missed the last run of Q3. But changing the subject entirely, as I like to do, what really interested me was him advocating for himself to run medium tires in the second qualifying session after they put Vettel back out on the soft tire. So Vettel was doomed to start on the soft and he got to start on the medium like the rest of the big boys. Interesting. Let's move on to the race. And for the record, what you like doing isn't just changing the subject. What you like doing is waiting until I'm completely done, ready to move on, and then going right, right back to the beginning of the previous topic and just messing up my show notes. Guilty? Guilty. You mean like bringing up the fact that it was the last corner and thus not a slow corner? Something like that, for example? I'm with, not saying it was. Well, with, with Vettel? Yeah. Nick? He was going very slowly. 
Okay, you know what I mean. He was he had slowed down for a nineteen degree left hander, and it was getting back on the power. That you definitely you've done it again with such ease as well, with no irony. However, I have to stop your interruption with this interruption because it's time for you to tell us where the race was won and lost. However, I think we're going to kind of break it down into three sections. It's it's fairly simple up front. There was also a battle for fourth place, but I think I think for me, Formula B today was was really the one worth exploring. But where was the Formula One segment won and lost? Well, I'm going to borrow a line from the chat. Mirror 303, if I said the race was won and lost in Brackley because the Mercedes was just fantastic here. And yep. it's really kind of hard to argue with it. Hamilton made turn one. There was no one in front of him. And he just sort of drove off, had a grand slam along the way and won it. That was it. There was no other competition. I just will say, as a even as a declared Lewis Hamilton fan, I'm sat there at the start, willing, particularly a Ferrari, to get, to get ahead of of Hamilton because that was the only way we were going to have a race. Chris, yeah, I almost half expected Red Bull to at least sort of challenge, keep Lewis honest, stay in the 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 virtual safety car window. You know, so if there was one there, they could try and jump him in the stops or something like that. Something that would just be a little bit more interesting than than Lewis just cruising off into the distance. But you know, we talk about how Mercedes design a car that works over an entire season when you have a circuit like Yas Marina that has a little bit of everything, then um, then the Mercedes is going to be the best on that because it, it's a it's a brilliant overall car. Yeah, certainly that Mercedes did look incredible. And we've been lucky this season, actually, that that Hamilton doesn't seem to have put as much focus into qualifying or they've not had the qualifying advantage at certain times. I think the statistic is, and I'm, I'm pulling this out of my, my butt a bit, is that Hamilton has won nine races from not pole position this season, which I believe is a record. We obviously, we didn't have that luxury today. But Matt, where we were setting ourselves up for the race, the, the first thing I found interesting, once Hamilton had, had disappeared off the line, I was actually, I was worried not to give away my allegiances in any way, but I was worried by the ease at which Leclerc was able to breeze past Verstappen. I didn't, didn't see if Verstappen made a mistake or anything on the on the first part of the double straight. But then, fascinatingly, because because Vettel had his baby ballast, he was not able to get past Verstappen, and that kind of set us up for the rest of the race. Yeah, well, Vettel was on soft tires, which were going to be quick in the first couple of laps relative to Verstappen. Uh, but then we had that technical issue with the DRS. I suspect had he had DRS, he might well have been able to get past Verstappen for a bit at least till his tires went off. But really, the the race got interesting if, you were, if we're looking at what might have happened. Uh, was Ferrari's fairly early pit stop and double stacking the cars which was a surprise to pretty much everybody, uh, because once Leclerc was out on his hard tire, where he had good race pace on Friday, you were thinking, okay, now he's chasing Verstappen's pit window, and he's about eight seconds back of Hamilton. And so he now is the time he could make inroads and maybe give Hamilton a bit of a hard time when he finally decides to pit. But as things went on, uh, and I think especially without DRS, uh, as he came up uh, to pass traffic once he had pitted, uh, he did not have the ultimate pace to put Hamilton under stress, and it rapidly devolved to being a battle for second between Verstappen 
and Leclerc. Yeah, so did that kind of just backfire a little bit? Did did they think there was going to be a cascade of pit stops and then all of a sudden, because Albon covered off the Ferraris, didn't they? But then Hamilton and Verstappen came on and went, no, we're good. We'll just carry on. I don't know if it was so much that as that the soft tire was terrible for Vettel. I think Leclerc was beginning to lose performance on the medium tire. I think the hardest tire suited them best because they had they were so slow in in the third sector, meaning they didn't have downforce. They're sliding the tires a lot. The harder tires more resistant to that sort of thermal degradation that tends to plague the Pirellis. So I, I think it was just a um, let's get onto our good tire and try and get in front of Hamilton through pit stops undercut him from a long way back, as it were, and then see if we can hold off people till the end. Now, obviously, once we spin the dial forward in time, we see that was not really going to be a winning strategy. And so it devolved to being a battle between Verstappen on fresh tires, chasing um, Leclerc on older tires. I, I think, yeah, Hamilton was barring some kind of some kind of uh, power unit failure. That Hamilton could have just done anything today. And he was going to disappear. So uh, I am, I'm dubious to say that Ferrari were uh, attempting an undercut. I think that would have been a very, very optimistic undercut indeed, Nick. Yeah, I think, um, I think actually in the garage, Bono was doing the New York Times crossword and feeding clues to Hamilton for help with solving, you know, what's another word for such and such. I mean, he was just up there. And yeah, but no. Well, it was the last day of term, wasn't it? So they were bringing, they brought board games in. So Bono was playing Mousetrap, I think, with Toto at one point. Uh, Matt. Yeah, I should mention that. Speaking of undercuts, yeah, uh, Leclerc's race pace in free practice looked like he might be close to Hamilton on the mediums. However, there was an undercut threat from Verstappen on Leclerc. He was told to get clear, and after a couple of laps, he really hadn't made any progress. And I think that was the other reason. They pulled the plug. Uh, and I think they brought in both cars. I didn't know this at the time, but subsequently looking at the fact they did this every time there was a pit stop, you just begin to wonder, maybe they pitted both of them at the same time so that they couldn't get in each other's way on track. So before the race, I tweeted a, a, a far out there prediction whereas where I painted a scenario where Bottas could win the race because I, I felt like Lewis Hamilton's power unit, he was kind of complaining about it in practice. It's the same one he's had since Spa. So I thought, well, he could DNF. The Ferraris would engage in the now traditional teammate contact and there would be a safety car, which would bring him up to fight with the, the Red Bulls. Obviously, that scenario didn't, didn't, didn't quite pan out. Uh, however, uh, that, that front battle was pretty much decided there. Uh, the only thing I really missed was how Verstappen ended up getting such a, a run on Leclerc. Was it just down to the fact that he pitted later so he had fresher tyres and came and overtook him. So that was, that was pretty much that battle done and dusted. Oh, just one short comment on that overtake Max on Charles. He had a double slipstream because there was uh, Kibitza in the mix as well. It was, uh, it was quite an overtake to watch. And we hadn't really seen any overtakes up at the, at the front end until that point. So that was when it, that was when for me, it kind of started to get exciting. What was particularly impressive about that that move, not only the initial lunge was was brilliant, um, but also how he then kept it down the second yeah. straight as well, because not only did the Ferrari then have the slipstream back on him, uh, a natural top-end speed advantage anyway uh, against the Red Bull, but also 
uh, Max was having those intermittent uh, sort of power unit issues with the with the throttle mapping and things like that. And um, it's it's not the first time this season we've heard of it. I think Monaco in particular, where uh, it, there was um, sort of weird power delivery about how when he when he gets on the throttle and then there's like a massive delay and then it all comes in uh, at once, like ah, uh, okay. like turbo lag almost. Okay, so I've got I've got a. Uh... A theory on this that was formulated in Slack, I think it was Sam Watley that, that posited this, was because in Monaco, what had happened was the, the torque mapping was in pit mode. And so when he came out of the pits, he couldn't get out of pit mode. So whilst it still yeah. allowed the top speed, the power delivery, uh, you know, from zero to what's it, or from slow speed to foot on the floor, I'm using all the technical terms now, was <laughs> affected. So it might have been something like that. And that's one for a tech time though, Chris. Yeah, of course, and that's that mode is something you can only change in the pit lane, as well. So that's why you can't just go and change it back. Okay, so there was a lot of talk by Crofty on the televisions today about the uh, different times on the track that the different cars were deploying the ERS, and I was wondering if there really is, you know, especially different philosophies there today, or if Crofty was just talking about that today because in the first half of the race there wasn't as much going on did you kind of pick up he was like did you pick up on that at all so so the only time teams will deviate from the plan and the plan tends to be quite similar um even back in the old curs days when they only had seven seconds of it uh, they would all use it at the same time the only way you deviate from that plan is if you're battling wheel to wheel with someone fascinating uh, i'm sure summers and matt will pick that up in no matt's gonna do it now no he's gonna do it now he's gonna make uh, normal i'm i'm just adding a mere fact okay. that on the radio verstappen called the problem a handbrake problem like he was making turns with a handbrake instead of the brake brake and so i had suspected that perhaps it was not an acceleration problem like you were discussing but might have been something more to do with the engine braking that was programmed into the power unit but that's all he definitely mentioned the the power delivery in post race as well. So it's combination of both. So uh, there was it was interesting, wasn't it? Because the the race settled down, uh, and all of a sudden on Twitter we were getting the same reactions we were getting after Paul Ricard. Basically, all of Twitter F one said, "Dad, I'm bored," and I think that is a testament to how good this season has been. The a lull. We, you know, for 15 laps, kind of got everybody a little bit antsy, but it was just, it, it just felt like it was a normal part of the race. Everyone had shuffled out. Everyone settled in for for some fuel saving, not Ferrari, obviously. They don't need to, but everybody else settled in for some fuel saving. More on that later. Uh, by Ferrari, I assume you mean Leclerc, because he's the one who had the extra five oh, kilos yeah, of I'm fuel sure they stuffed did, into his car. I'm sure they just did it with one car, and, and I'm sure this is the only race. But whatever, we'll get there. We'll get onto that. Uh, fine, we'll get onto that. Uh, what was interesting to me, and, and I noted it at the time, was that your leading trio, uh, this would be Norris, Ricardo, and Sainz, on the soft tires, were really hung out to dry by the lack of DRS because they were, they pitted early sort of in sequence with the Ferraris. And what happened was they came out behind Grosjean who was running very long and rather slowly on the mediums, but because they did not have DRS, they were stuck there. And what this did was it brought into play. The midfielders would have been Gasly and Perez, except for a stroll drove into Gasly on the first lap and ruined his chances, but uh, brought Perez and now Kvyat into play running long 
and taking advantage of being able to make a pit stop and emerge with DRS to rapidly clear slower moving traffic in front of them. And that was actually, I believe, crucial to what happened at the end of the race for pretty much all of the midfield that we're interested in. Well, shall we move on to the midfield? Should we do a separate one and lost? Actually, before we do that, Matt, uh, we got a glimpse of life without DRS. And I, I, I feel like they were too... There were two strands to this. So initially you go, oh, well, now this is good, isn't it? Bottas is having to make a move into that first bus stop, you know, instead of just waiting for the, instead of just waiting uh, for the straights and the DRS advantage. But then on the other hand, Chris, as the race kind of developed, overall, there was a net loss to the race because of the lack of DRS. No, I loved it. I, I love the fact that drivers had to actually work for an overtake and not hit a button and let some sticking plaster aid do 90% of the job uh, for them. Uh, and again, this is another opinion I have not shied away from on this show. I hate DRS and I can't wait for them to get rid of it. Just one thing to note with the no DRS today, it was no DRS at a track with miles and miles and miles of runoff. So people were going for different types of moves than they might otherwise have done. Because if they mess it up, then they could just cut a chicane and carry on. Um, I don't know that it would have been such a great thing. No DRS in, you know, a different track with walls, perhaps. Now, I will say this is probably one of the worst tracks for this glitch or error or whatever it was that stopped the DRS from working to happen at because this circuit doesn't always generate fantastic racing. Right? If you had it at, at Austria, for example, or other better racing tracks, the effect wouldn't be quite so noticeable. But um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a breath of fresh air. Uh, okay, so DRS is, is a sticky plaster. It was solving a problem that was, that was identified at the beginning of this decade. However, we have the 2021 regulations uh, uh, coming in, and I think there's a super, super common sense attitude to DRS because we they think we they think as a sport they may have created a set of regulations that doesn't need the DRS so there's the option left in there that if we don't need the DRS we'll just stop using it which is which is really the the absolutely correct way to go about it at the moment i still think we do need DRS if they now said no DRS in 2020 basically what you're doing is tightening up all the tracks i think you would have more more uh, Hungaro ring syndrome, more Barcelona syndrome, where these tracks that we have loved over the decades suddenly become unfit for Formula One. So for now, for next season, we need it. Yeah. And to me, what was most interesting about seeing 20 or so laps run without DRS was seeing the effect of the newly designed front wing arrow, making it, I mean, frankly, more overtaking than I would have thought if we were talking about, like, say, 2017, yep. and the same issue happened. So it is a good indication, and certainly not something they did on purpose just to test it, as some people might have suggested. Uh, but it is a good indication that the way they are moving the aero regulations could mean that DRS might once again disappear into a bag of things that we talk about, but are no longer used in the sport. Also, a really good reminder that all the Formula One cars have a common electronics unit and they are not centrally controlled but it's all part of a network so there are things we can do in the future the technology exists you could have like really like you could have 
power controlled centrally. You could have, you know, a gentle ramp down of power under double yellow flags. There's so much you can do with that that hived network uh, that they've got going on in those cars. Chris? I think the future of maintaining overtaking in Formula One is going to be the manual deployment of the years, which supposedly they are doing in 2021. That for me is going to be really, really key, I think. So now we're talking uh, managing push to pass, basically like an IndyCar. And I, I love that idea that we put once again that tool in the hands of the drivers to strategically use as they see fit. As long as we don't have fan boost. I'm on so board. I was just going to say, as long as they don't require you to drive on a different part of the racetrack to activate Oh, it. I really like attack mode. I like attack mode. Go and check out our Formula E race review. So we reviewed uh, the round one and round two. Uh, it was a fun review with me, Matt, and Bradley Philpott. Uh, and we had a fun discussion as always. We're always a little bit more relaxed, uh, I think, with Formula E. Because we'll admit, we understand it less. However, I think we put together a good review and we do have uh, some expert help coming in in January to help us out. So don't worry, it won't always just be us idiots. But Matt, just going back to you and talking about that, um, the the front wings and the effect they had was really interesting because we want to go on to this midfield battle now that I want to treat as a race on its own, is that those four cars, the, the orange, yellow, orange, yellow, were able to follow each other closely, uh, even without DRS uh, or even with DRS. So they didn't seem to be affecting each other to the point where they all had to back off for two seconds to avoid their, their their tires overheating. Yeah, and if we go back to the original 2010 working group that looked at this issue, they targeted around a second and a second and a half as being the distance at which they felt the driver needed to make the distance. If I can get you to that distance, you need to be able to bridge the rest of it yourself in order to affect an overtake. And if we're going to talk about overtakes, let's talk about what we really want to see is not just overtakes. We want to see battles. We want to see, we don't want to see driving past people down the straight, easy pass into turn one. We want to see wheel to wheel, corner to corner battles with defense and offense coming back into a better, more natural balance competitively. So we often point to Bahrain 2014 as a great example of two drivers on different tactics kind of culminating towards towards each other at the end. And actually they were fairly similar tactically. It's just that I think, um, one driver went onto the the media the harder compound first one went on softer and then they they did the reverse of each other in this formula b battle which was primarily between the the renaults the the mclarens uh, the good bit of uh, racing point and also uh, kvyat you saw two very 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 different approaches and then on one of those approaches they then had to split off in a y again and it was just really fascinating to see how it how it panned out. So first of all, you had a, a more traditional approach from uh, from Norris, uh, uh, followed by Holkenberg, followed by Science, followed by Ricardo. Was that the way around? It was. It was. It was certainly that way around in the teams. But then you had Perez and Kvyat completely going the other way and just going super long. So Perez went long on his mediums. I, I don't think Perez actually needs to change tires. I think he's annoyed that he would have to change tyres at any point. And Kvyat went on the hards and he probably could have gone on all day as well. So we set up a really, really interesting battle where Norris earned the right to be at the front of that first chain. 
because he battled quite hard at the beginning and got past signs. And I'm happy for Norris. I'm happy he got a little win there, racing-wise. And then you had the other battle where, where Perez really did earn his chance to come back with fresh tyres by just doing that incredible mega stint. Yeah, and this was always the thing. And sadly, or not sadly, it's it looks like, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it's going away for next year because I think they're going to drop the requirement to use your second qualifying session tyre, uh. um, which will even up the midfield uh, and let, let them start on get free tyre choice, I believe, at the start of the race is what we're going to wind up with effectively. Uh, I could be wrong. Chat room fixed. You know, go look on Google. Tell me right now, because um, I am old and I forget things. Uh, but yeah, this was fundamentally always going to be the going long strategy versus those who were stuck on the softs in the top ten and take away DRS, and it really brought them into play for Perez and for Kvyat. I believe without DRS. It might not have been as close. And for Norris in particular, let's not forget, he did have a bulky pit stop, which cost him a bit of extra time. And if you look at how close that last lap was, you just like, oh, what it could have should have on that one. Let's hear from the camouflaged Chris. I've just noticed that your shirt and T-shirt that you're wearing under it are the same exact same oh, colors yeah. as the stripes of your bedsheet behind you and your wallpaper. Like you've got, um, you've got yeah. a, you, I'm not kink shaming, but you've got a blue fetish. It's it's team colours. You'll get that. Um, the um, the 2020 tyre rule, I really, really like. I think it's not only going to even up the midfield, I think it's going to make things a little bit more interesting at the, the front of the field as well. Uh, because I, I found that some of the best races are when you get a wet qualifying and so there's free tyre choice for everyone. And it does just open up the strategy variables and it stops people being forced onto this narrow path where oh now now the race is going to be really predictable i think it's a great move uh good and uh, then matt if we go on to just the rest of this formula b race it was set up beautifully and i think in a way the main loser was signs in the end yeah well if i may quickly run down the implications championship you wise, may we had on track going into the last lap lando norris in possession of 10th place by a single point until Perez chasing him, catches him, passes him, and takes 10th place in the championship by three points. Now, there are many reasons that happened. The approximate cause was the Williams in front of him, causing him to lose arrow. And then him just being a little, maybe too eye-racing nice with Perez when the actual job got done. See, I can't possibly comment on whether Norris defended hard enough on the final overtake because, of course, I still haven't seen it. Um, it was not shown <laughs> live. No, I haven't. It wasn't shown live. No, it race. wasn't. No, I, didn't, no. I didn't see it on Reddit later. Um, I, I tuned in. I watched the interviews. I watched the podium. I waited for them to show it later. Never saw it. But I did not know that there was championship position implications of that move. I just thought it was a brilliant, you know, two strategies converging at the end. It was exciting in its own right. It just makes me even more mad about the television direction that I didn't, I'm learning this now. It just, I'm so mad. 
Well, I, I don't think people were talking about the sort of quote unquote championship implications because really, who cares who finishes ninth, tenth, and eleventh <gasps> at the end of the at the end of the season? It's just Gasp. something we talk about because uh, Lewis has already won the title and second was already wrapped up, and so was third and fourth. And so, oh, what's the highest place we could talk about that's somewhat interesting? Uh, anyway, that isn't even the point I was going to make. The point I was going to make was Norris was really hard on himself after the race about how he acted uh, and defended that position on the final lap. He think he sort of chickened out of it and uh, no, gave it up. I, I just think that if, uh, if, if Lando Norris is working by the rules of racing that he has, has grown up with, and he does a lot of sim racing, he does a lot of eye racing as well, it's, it's been fairly new this season where the big barge on the outside has kind of been really not just accepted but it has been fully sanctioned that you can you can you can run your opponent all the way to the outside uh, and it be a completely legal move and 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 if that's how we're doing it then that's fine he should be hard on himself because he basically left some points on the table uh, just just to run back quickly to the leclerc verstappen battle when verstappen was blocking on that exact same corner. I meant to say this earlier, Verstappen fans. Yes, it was a fantastic overtake, but the most impressive thing was the block pass because he actually changed direction in the middle of that pass. So he initially had his trajectory, realised that it wasn't aggressive enough, opened up the steering even more, and you could almost see from the back the Red Bull almost pointing right and just going, no, I need to shut this door off for Leclerc. And that's what Lando is feeling like now. Looking back on it, he should do it, but it's not in his instinct, Chris. No, I I agree. He's been quite tepid, especially in sort of first lap uh, battles. And uh, he said that's something he's really trying to work on. Uh, But I think he is being too hard on himself in general. I mean, he's had an amazing rookie season, hasn't he? He won the qualifying head-to-head against Carlos Sainz. And okay, he didn't beat him in the championship. But I, I think as a rookie, he has performed amazingly. Yeah, so you can talk about things and the margins that he's talking about when he's being hard on himself like that are entirely different than the margins we as viewers at home get. So when he was discussing that move uh, and he was going slowly, you could see exactly what he meant. When Perez had the line and was ahead of him, he completely shut the door for him to make the next apex. But when he was alongside and had some ability to affect Perez's exit, he left him enough room so Perez could do whatever he wanted to. And his basic thought to himself reviewing that was, okay, I need to I need to limit his options out of that turn so he's forced to leave space for me so that battle isn't done at that point. And this, in his first season, I mean, yeah. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of mistake you're going to make. He's good at overtaking. He's good at defending. The wheel-to-wheel comes with experience. And experience Perez has. So Perez has oodles and oodles of experience. And he might not be the raw, out-and-out fastest driver on the grid. But the you know if, if we're going to assess Sergio Perez's career, he is not someone you want to take lightly. And he is someone who has won the Formula B on occasion. Is this his second or third Formula B victory of the season? And, th- and that racing point is not the fourth best car on the grid is it chris no absolutely not you can tell racing point has been so limited 
uh, what, by what it can do this year, by what happened in the middle of last season when it went into administration and then had to get bought out by the Stroll administration. That massively affected this year's car. And that's why next year, man, oh man what are we going to see from that team? Are they just going to go out and dominate Formula B now? Or are McLaren and Racing Point going to form their own mini championship inside Formula B and we're going to have to call it 1.25 or something? Or will, yeah, will will any of the midfield teams graduate to Formula One and, and leave the Formula B title open? Nick, you've got to read that chat room comment that I know you've noticed because you've just put mm-hmm. on a you just put on a Ferrari jumper. So there, there's two. So Clapper says that Nick Alexander is about to suffer a technical failure. And <laughs> Patrick Walsh <laughs> says if you put a Ferrari jacket on, you should at least spin in your chair for, for authenticity. <laughs> Absolutely savage. Absolutely savage. Um, the last point I want to say on the midfield battle, uh, Matt, I think we touched on it earlier, was signs being being unlucky. Wasn't wasn't it interesting that the McLaren teams were quite young? Yeah, we've we brought signs in. We've looked at his tires. We could have easily not brought him in. And you know, you've got you've got tires left. They were saying to Lando, "You've got tires left. Don't worry about it." We could have done the same for signs. So I guess signs kind of lost two positions with that pit stop. I don't know if it was unlucky. Um, Signs when the window opened and Perez had pitted and they saw his speed. Uh, Signs was basically told McLaren, if you are not sure, bring me in now. And there was a reason for that. Because that single solitary championship point that he claimed by passing Hulkenberg on the last lap put him into sole possession of sixth in the driver's championship. So if we're talking about best of the rest, we cannot ignore his entire season at this point. And it was a brave call because he knew how much time he was going to have to make up. And he did it. He did it with a ridiculous overtake on the last lap. At the last possible moment, he could have overtaken Hulkenberg. He just chucked it up the middle, managed to get it stopped in time, and off he went. And full kudos to him. I still haven't seen it. Was it Was it good? <sighs> Yeah, it was it was it was stellar. It it was it was proper late breaking up the inside. Yes, just everything you would hope for in a situation that tense. If he'd not, he'd have been tied with Gasly and Gasly would have gotten it on countback, I believe. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
good. It's been good to spend time talking about Formula B and the midfield. It it does feel like the TV coverage of it was better, but there was still a huge temptation for the cameras to focus on the guys at the front that weren't doing a great deal. And and I appreciate that as the the winner is coming over the line, you want to watch that. But that was kind of in the bag. Like you, that was not in any way as important as Perez overtaking Lando Norris. Maybe I'm I'm biased because I, I was watching that Perez charge. For me, that was kind of the charge of the race. Once the Bottas charge wasn't going to happen and petered out. Uh, for me, the Perez charge was the main one, and then people will have been watching signs to see if he could have got that last that last point, and we missed both of those in real time, which was a shame, Chris. But it, it's it's understandable from a TV point of view. I don't think the TV director would have a great time explaining to Mercedes why yes. they didn't yeah. see their car mm-hmm. winning the Grand Prix because they wanted to focus on who's going to get 10th in the championship. There's not an argument you're going to win. Uh, no, <laughs> no, certainly not. Uh, we've got a few uh, topics and talking points we're going to move on to. I will say, uh, just going to that, the Bottas charge, there was a, a moment where we where they said, oh, he's going to catch Leclerc with two laps to go and have a chance to overtake. Now, I turned to my nine-year-old boy, who's been intently watching the race, intensely watching the races with me, over the last, maybe the second half since the summer. And I said to him, do you think Bottas is going to get Leclerc in the end? Genuinely, he turned to me and he went, dad, have you not been watching this season? And like, he was like, no, in his head, he was like, no. And he pointed to Brazil. Was it Brazil where he couldn't get past Leclerc? And he was like, he pointed to Brazil and just, and said, you know, dad, look, no, we know he's not going to get that move done. Uh, It's a, it's not a flaw of Bottas. It's just the way he is. I don't think Hamilton would have been stuck behind Stroll for as long as he was. I mean, it was certainly, it was an aborted charge of his own doing, or am I being too harsh? No takers, I'll assume you'll all agree. Uh, Matt? Uh, I I think he actually surprised me a bit with his ability to get round people without DRS. And I just think it's a shame Mercedes didn't let him turn the engine up a lap or two sooner, because then we would have actually had a battle battle. As it was, he was about six or seven tenths off coming into the last lap. So DRS range, another lap or two, he might have had it because his tires were fresher. Uh, but yeah, we just didn't quite get there. See, I would call it impressive if his car wasn't two or three seconds a lap quicker than the cars he was trying to get by. So I, I just I can't understand the hype of oh my oh, well Ricardo went from from last on the grid. Oh, well, I shouldn't have picked an example from last year. Uh, but whenever a, a top driver comes from the back of the yes, grid yeah, to, to finish yeah. sixth, and they're like, well, that's kind of the minimum I'd expect of them, even without DRS. He finished fourth, and he made it through the entire midfield with no DRS. Yeah, no, that bit was impressive. Actually getting and fighting for the podium, that bit was impressive. Okay. It's somewhere in the middle. I Yeah, it's gone somewhere I, in the middle. Yeah, I think you're being a bit harsh, but I don't think it was the most spectacular drive ever it was a good drive but like chris says i mean of course he's going to get up to the front isn't he the thing i think the sort of caveat for this year as well is that you've got albon who is not on his potential let's just say that he isn't quite breaking into the proper formula one bit yet he's sort of teetering between formula one and formula 1.5 so that's the next one in there and ferrari have just been terrible pace wise so 
this on what is probably one of Mercedes' best tracks probably does explain the the extra progression slightly. Yeah, Albon really is teetering, isn't he? I mean, in Brazil, he's getting his elbows out. You think he's finally starting to to fight with the big boys, and then other days you just don't see it. Um, we're, we're talking about well, maybe it was just in the in the chat room. Maybe we didn't talk about it out loud, but it talks about maybe Lando lacking some some mental ferocity, some, some competitiveness. Um, but it, it's, I don't think he's the most timid rookie. Uh, okay. So I think it's a good point. Both Gasly, Gasly fell spectacularly and Albon isn't up to that level yet. I, I think we are undervaluing Max Verstappen when we, when we talk about these guys a little bit. So I, I was definitely, I've not been a Max fanboy. I've not been on the Max hype train but nick i'm just going to make the case that i think we we might not quite have realized exactly where he's at at the moment i i think you're absolutely right and my moniker is numbers so i am going to throw out some numbers out there i believe it was 19 to 2 for the qualifying battle uh of max versus his teammates and with the teammates obviously being shuffled in the middle of the year i had no idea that it was that dominant that is um as good as anybody except uh, George Russell in that in that category. Uh, I think uh, Perez versus Stroll is similarly lopsided as well, but that's that's not a reasonable comparison. How, however, when we talk about Verstappen at the moment, what we've got to realise is that Verstappen is honed in at that team, driving pretty near his capability. The consistency of like ultimate performance and and incidents and that last minute split second decision making probably could do with a bit more refining and he's not quite in his final form as far as that goes but when it comes to turning up at a weekend and finding the best pace for that Red Bull and being on the pace he's on it now he turns up and he is at the maximum pace that that Red Bull can do week after week after week after week so yes so there might be a racing incident where he makes the wrong decision or he gets hot-headed but he's going to turn up and he's going to he's going to be at the maximum. Albon and Gasly are still young guys finding their way. So when they turn up to one weekend, they might not have it. They might not know how to get there and they might be better in one sector or another sector or only two thirds of the sectors. That doesn't mean they can't do it. That doesn't mean they won't get there. But they are up against a very established driver in an established team now against Max Verstappen. So I just I what I don't want to do is judge Anyone who comes up against Verstappen and say, oh, you're no good, will dismiss you. It's the same as saying, oh, Bottas, he doesn't beat Hamilton, so he's no good. Off you go. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I can't get over you using the word maximum when you're talking about max. Yeah, it's, it seems a little, no, tautology, that's not the right word. Uh, redundant. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's not my fault his name is Max. I shall address him by Mr. Verstappen from now on. I guess I was being a little over familiar. But, but Verstappen has beaten... I think just about every teammate has he has he beaten every teammate that he's come up against. So he did beat Signs marginally, and that was when he was far from in his final form. You know they were both young lads at Toro Rosso. He made Daniel Ricciardo. Sorry, Aussie fans. I know we've got a lot of Aussie fans. Daniel Ricciardo is a great racer, a great racer. But Verstappen made him look ordinary on consistency of pace, uh, and 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 outgunned him and, and had that advantage in qualifying even when he wasn't racing that well. So I don't know, Nick, I just, when we talk about the optimism with uh, with Red Bull for next season, they have factors they haven't had for the last two seasons. They've got a progressing Honda and they've got a nearly ripe, Is that that's a good description, isn't it? We've got a nearly ripe 
Max Verstappen. Near, nearly not immature in the way that you kind of love to phrase things. Can I take a quick straw poll? I mean, do we do we think that Ricciardo should have stayed? Uh, I think he, Bo, it was uh, Sophie's choice. Is that the correct term? I think uh, reputation-wise, he is now going to go down as a great driver who made a bad decision instead of somebody who, you know, like Mark Webber, kept going up against Vettel and getting beaten. So actually, I'm finding it hard to judge Ricardo's position. I think he probably played the smartest hand that he had. He was holding a he was holding a pair of sevens, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, but let's talk about Red Bull because their form is such that they tend to show up not entirely ready for the season, and then they sort of develop as they go along. The question I have is not as Max ready, but how ready will Red Bull be at the start of next season to take the fight to Mercedes and to Ferrari? Well, I just it's it's progressive, isn't it, Chris? So yes, they they might suffer from some of the same symptoms that they had at the beginning of this season, but they'll have a slightly better engine and they've got a slightly better driver. But then Mercedes are also going to turn up with improvements and you know, Lewis with the form he's on, he just does seem to be getting better and better. But I agree with Matt that we're looking at uh, what is Red Bull going to bring to the table? What is Ferrari going to bring to the table? Because we know that, that Max is there, Charles Leclerc is there, they're ready to to battle Lewis. Can the car do it? Just just realised we have a Australian video editor and the chat room is pointing out that that might well not make the final cut. How how do I fight? How I have to give a secret symbol that if you don't if you don't hear me do such and such a thing, you'll know it's been edited. Okay. I will I will work on that. So we are looking uh, with optimism for, for Red Bull next season. I think the Verstappen Red Bull package was certainly for me the, the, the winner overall, if you like. They punched above their weight uh, this week, Matt. I think that's that's not unfair to say. Uh, but we're going to go to the other end of punching with your relative weight. Ferrari, qualifying debacle aside... We get word before the race has even started that Charles Leclerc has some kind of fuel irregularity. Have you managed to untangle exactly what it is that was under question? Yes, I have. Uh, The specifics are they were required by the latest batch of technical directives to report to the stewards the amount of fuel in kilograms in the car And when that was checked before the race, it turned out there was a minor discrepancy. And by minor, I mean 4.88 kilograms, which in racing terms isn't really minor at all. That's, that's, that's going to be a pretty savage dead weight to carry if you don't need it. Uh, but not necessarily a disadvantage if you can use the fuel. Uh, but the question is, why was the wrong number there in the first place? That's what I'm trying to understand. So there's obviously a maximum amount of fuel that you're allowed to run and they didn't exceed that. And then there's a fuel flow limit and that's not necessarily in question here. So I don't understand what advantage was gained. And I did not know that this was pursuant to a new technical regulation. Sounds like a very, very new technical regulation. So it's, it's maybe they potentially did this to try to get around all that. So I need to be very, very, very clear. 
in that this is not a technical regulation. Technical regulations are found in the technical regulation document. This was a technical directive. In other words, they're clarifying what they think the technical regulations mean. And since there were so many questions about fuel, they have demanded that samples and amounts of every liquid in the car be reported to the stewards prior to the race. Ferrari gave them the wrong number. So when we look at the penalty, uh, which if this were a technical, a violation of a technical regulation, the penalty would have been immediate disqualification. Because this was a technical directive, it, the actual violation was of the International Sporting Code 12.1.1.I, failure to follow the instructions of the relevant officials for the safe and orderly conduct of the event. As it, And because it was a TD, essentially this was a sporting violation, which is why we saw Ferrari get the big fine instead of the disqualification. I think what happened is, is quite clear. Basically, whoever was in charge of doing the fuel is of my age or older and remembers the time at petrol stations before you could pay with your debit card. And you had to like, you know, you had to sit there with the fuel thing and you had to get it exactly on on 20 quid. And if you did 20 what, 20 and one penny, then you'd have to break into another tenner and it would be a disaster. That's what they need to do. They need to get boomers in there to do the fuel. They'll never get it wrong. Yeah. Well, imagine for whatever reason, it was measured in liters and you have to convert to kilograms. Well, there's an easy math error that can happen. One time, completely unrelated, but true life personal story, I got a letter from the IRS saying I owed them $50,000 because someone at the IRS misplaced a decimal point in one of my, uh, (laughs) while filling out some form somewhere. So we don't know yet where that number came from, but there are many, many ways humans can screw things like that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money was just resting in your account. Uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, that's Ferrari sending you the bill for the fine, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. £50,000. Okay, so to cast more of a tinfoil hat at this, which which I am, I am absolutely, you know, I, I'm against on principle, but just just for balance, it, it does seem, Matt, that 4.88 kilograms is a massive mistake. And actually, just to clarify on something that Nick said... I don't think we do have confirmation of the actual figures. So everyone's presuming that they haven't gone over the maximum allowed fuel. We don't actually know that for sure, although you do suspect that had they gone over the 110 kilograms, that would be a much bigger deal. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think they would have started the race uh, if they'd been found to have over 110 kilos in the car. Yeah, okay, fair enough. What, what bothers me uh, about this is the we will investigate this after the race and now people can correct me if i'm wrong and if i I would love to be wrong because i'm sure there is some internal bias in me that is making me remember the hits and forget the misses but it seems like ferrari have had several cases of we will investigate this after the race now if you investigate this after a thing after the race it gives you options because if it's a nailed on penalty you have to give a penalty then what you do may cost Ferrari or whichever team a podium or a high point scoring race. But if you investigate it after the race, you can see how the race pans out and you can, and you can adjust between a sporting, uh, sporting penalty like five seconds or disqualification, or you can issue a fine, which doesn't affect the, which doesn't affect the team's race position. Now I am not doing the Ferrari international assistance, Nick, calm down. Stop trying to reach through the Zoom call and grab my collar. What I'm saying is that this 
this version of the FIA this year, this version of race control and stewarding is is a little situational. And not just for, with Ferrari, all across the board, it feels like they have made decisions and been very aware of the effect that their decision will have on the race. So Leclerc with bits hanging off, that should be a, a clear come in penalty, something like that. Okay, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll investigate after the race. Ah, oh, right. He he didn't finish high anyway. We can whack him with a race fine. Today, that he was on the podium. So any kind of race fine would have robbed a Ferrari driver of the podium. Now, I'm not saying they're favouring Ferrari. What I am saying is, if you rob Ferrari of a podium, you get a hell of a lot more flack, A, from Ferrari, who are massively powerful in the sport, and from the Tifosi, who are an incredibly motivated and passionate bunch. And after Canada, the stewards came under specific and personal criticism. So they specifically were targeted. And I know, as somebody who is openly hostile to the Tafosi, you know, quite deliberately so, I get horrible messages. And I, I share that, the emails I get in our WhatsApp group. You know, people tell me to go commit suicide. You know, we've become used to it now. It's like a drumbeat. But I cannot blame them for... for making decisions that are thorny politically actually the we will investigate afterwards is quite a clever way to do it because you're still making the judgment but you can then see how it will affect the race now tinfoil hat off and i'll let the grown-ups talk <laughs> okay I, you you could be a u.s senator i think you were uh filibustering some sort of bill there i was hoping you, you would name. i was hoping you'd forget the points uh if i said too many things yeah no i um I, I don't think this is similar to, you know, uh, bits falling off the car, which could be potentially dangerous. Uh, I definitely give you, uh, that scenario, but I, I don't think today was the same. If you disqualify them before the race and then the race starts, then there's no real undoing that. So, um, you just kind of, you, you have, you have to let them start if you're not ready to, to punish them. I, I don't think from what Matt was saying, it doesn't sound like they had any sort of justification for any sort of harsher penalties. So I don't know what they would have done had, you know, Charles finished in eighth or, or something by, by your logic, if he didn't podium, he would have been punished more harshly, but yeah. what would it have been? Well, I mean, I, I called it before the race privately and in our Slack group, which by the way, you can join by joining uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. No, that's wrong. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex is actually correct. Well done me from several seconds ago. Uh, we would really appreciate your support and we will be keeping up with winter content. Uh, we'll be taking two Sundays off. That's it. The rest of the time, you'll have F1 content all the way to the new F1 season. But that is, I, I called that in a kind of, in a slightly cheeky way, when people were saying, are they going to get disqualified? And I said, if there's a Ferrari podium, no racing penalty, it'll be fine. Uh, and if there, if there isn't a podium, then they'll get fine. Obviously, you can only ever have one of those scenarios, so you can't prove the other one, unfortunately. Matt? Yeah, well, if if we're going to talk about things, uh, we can talk about the effect that extra fuel had. We know it was less than 110 kilos, or else he would have been immediately disqualified. Uh, but if you were carrying that fuel around, and you cannot use that fuel because, say, you're limited by tires, then over the course of a race, that amounts to about seven seconds slower, which wasn't enough to put him uh, faster than Verstappen. But also was not was only going to make it uh, put him a little further ahead of uh, Botas at the end of the race. 
So I just I don't think there's anything in it. You don't put extra weight on a car unless it's there for a purpose. And either they screwed up the math, wrote the old number down when they sent the paper over, yeah. forgot to give them the new paper, or you know what I'm saying? It's it's one of those kind of mistakes. Looking at it from my point of view, I yeah, I it, it does feel too big to be a mistake. I guess we'll never know, but unfortunately, just because of all the other stuff around the fuel flow and the other technical directives, as soon as the words Ferrari and fuel were mentioned together, everybody went up like meerkats and started going, oh, oh, look at that. Look at same old Ferrari, always at it. Uh, We do have to be careful, as a colleague has reminded me, not to get the pitchforks out every time Ferrari and fuel uh, is mentioned. Matt, you stated to me that Abu Dhabi would be the test, would be a fairer test of if Ferrari could get their pace back and to see whether they had been affected by the technical directives. Not going to get in a fist fight with you, but are we are we all on the same page now? Is it clear that the technical directives have affected Ferrari's ability to get pole positions? Yeah, I think maybe you could say that. Although really what I wanted to do was go back and look at how they done in the previous years with these sets of regulations because this has always been a terrible track for them Ah, but i think it's certainly more representative than brazil another caveat you are the caveat king my friend however i would invite you to view the uh wonderful video that formula one put out comparing leclerc and hamilton uh many sectors and if you look at ferrari's performance on the straights doesn't look that dissimilar to what we saw before the directives came out. So, okay. So I will. I, so I, will, so yeah. I, I, I'm just like, nah. I'm there, but I still have some questions about exactly what was going on with Ferrari. If you understand what I'm saying, I, I think Mercedes could easily match Ferrari on the straights if they wanted to. If that was the way they wanted to approach their lap, they could strip downforce and they could do exactly the same on the straights. Chris, well. We're seeing Ferrari gaining, I think it was half a second in the first two sectors with their extra straight line speed, but then they're losing eight tenths of a second in the third twisty sector. So overall, they're massively down in terms of twisty lap time. Now, how do you win the Singapore Grand Prix? And I don't just mean win the Singapore Grand Prix. I mean, dominate it and suddenly have the perfect race car. Oh my God, it's got all this power and now it can go around corners. It's brilliant. And then come to Abu Dhabi and for for the, well, for the remaining races of the season, suddenly not be able to get around corners. There is definitely something that has prevented Ferrari. And whether it is a reaction to the technical directors when they've taken downforce off the car so that they can still maintain the speed. That's probably the wrong way to have gone about it. But th- something has gone wrong there, horribly. It's it's really quite simple. When you when you gain a bunch of power, then you can slap on a bunch of downforce. Yes, it's, I mean, it's Mercedes 2014, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? So yeah. that explains Singapore, I would think. I would really just urge people, when they, when they think about uh, this Ferrari pace advantage, it is about Ferrari's ability to get on pole and then be able to use their low drag, high speed philosophy. The getting on pole, that's the crucial bit. Not they were faster on this straight or that straight. Not they had the fastest through the speed trap in the pit lane. It's all about the poles. That's what disappeared. I I know you say that. And for you, you have been very consistent about saying that. However, 
that's not what Christian Horner was complaining about. He was complaining about their straight line speed advantage. Okay. So, so, uh, if, so if you were going to be really, really finickety about it, if you were, if you were a lesser man, which I am, a petty, horrible man, you would have trawled back through the beginning of the season and, and worked out which were the fastest sectors and looked at the speed advantage that Ferrari had. That, that advantage was present early in the season as well. So that it didn't suddenly appear when they started getting poles. They have had that advantage all season anyway. Chris. Yeah, to kind of go to, to Nick's comment, that makes it sound like, you know, they, they got this straight line speed advantage halfway through the season and went, I know what we can do. We can put a load of downforce on Let's the Let's get corner. pole. No, yeah. They've had it all season long and been trying to work out how do we get it to go around corners. Right. So what I wanted to ask before you interrupted me with your mocking was at what point did their ability to claim pole go from being, well, we expected that at Monza, we kind of expected it at Spa. At what point did you go, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because to me, that's where we really need to look to find the answer to this and what we think Ferrari was up to. Right. So no one expected Ferrari to be good in Singapore. And then they suddenly were. And then they were quick in Sochi as well. And then after that, it just plummeted. Okay, cool. Well, what I'll say to you, Matt, is that is a great line of questioning. Let's develop that for future shows. I think what we're going to do into December is we are going to do what we did last season, split up our championship review into three sections. So start with the top three, then go into the middle and then uh, then go into the dregs and we'll go all William's story and start slating us, which uh, apparently Rich Energy has still been doing. They're still cutting in there with their opinion and really being aggressive towards has now go check it out go give them some publicity i still have one can of rich energy that someone brought to the uh, the karting event that i haven't opened but it's still in my fridge anyway so uh, i think uh, let's see let's go on to the podium perhaps as abu dhabi dead rubbers go this was actually a good race in in my mind i will agree with chris to some extent it hasn't always produced the best races especially when the championship isn't on the line i would certainly agree that there is no way on earth that this should be the season finale from a sporting point of view from an f1 traditional point of view I I understand it perhaps wouldn't suit the European tracks because it is freezing right now. And we don't want a freezing cold, uh, a freezing cold F1 track to end on. But Brazil, Interlagos, that fantastic uh, circuit has served F1 so, so very well. There's a place called Australia. Don't know if you've heard about heard about it. They have a couple of tracks as well. That would be a better, a better end to the season than Abu Dhabi. But as far as Abu Dhabi Grand Prix go, No, I mean, that was pretty good, Nick. The racing was reasonable. There was some decent overtakes. We saw the drivers racing hard. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining either. And I would just like to throw Miami into the ring a little bit for a potential uh, destination that might be, you know, still warm this time of year. Chris is... What furious in the background. Boo on that one. Well, what you fail to recognize there is that street circuits are garbage. So, no, that would be a terrible way to... I just, I can't, I can never figure out Chris. He, he loves Monaco. He says you just have to be there, but Miami, he doesn't see the appeal. He doesn't get it. Uh, see, his thing, like Monaco is a, is a great circuit. That Miami one looks like garbage. 
Now, Abu Dhabi does have some things going for it. So I, I think we covered this in the last show. It does look pretty cool under the lights. The elevation change that people seem to want is is good. If it was mid-season, if it was round four, I don't think people would be as upset. But as a season finale, for me, it just doesn't fit. Uh, thank you very much for following Missed Apex podcast. We have uh, had a really, really great 2019 We've been able to do some fantastic things, get some fantastic guests on. We've been really lucky to continue to have Joe Saywood uh, come and do Inside F1. And in fact, he has increased his involvement this year. I think he has done a show a month with us, and that looks to continue into 2020. We've had some fantastic guests from Brian Sims. I can't even remember if Mark Priestley was this season. It's been such a great season. I think we had Mark Priestley. We've had some fantastic people in the shed. Uh, Chris Medland has been in the shed three times as well. And we've got much more planned for 2020. The most exciting thing that happened recently, Chris, is that we broke into the top 100 in UK iTunes sports, which for me always seemed like this massively unattainable thing. If you look at the the podcasts that are up there in the top 100, they're, they're like proper, they're like grown-up podcasts. So to see us pop up to 95, uh, that really, it made my day. That's mental, isn't it? Like you can't even comprehend. And I think it's not just because we do this show. We've done the other awesome things we've done this year, the karting event, the sim event at Simply Race as well. And like you say, all the guests we get on. I mean, we do so many really cool things and I think we're going to do some even more cool things next year. Hopefully. Me, me and Jeansy went out with a, a Mist Apex liveried car at Silverstone and tested ourselves in a, a sopping wet Silverstone. And we have another GTI event planned as well. A ridiculously ambitious one, but it is in the pipeline. And and did we do the GTS racing simulation thing this year? Or was that the end of last year? I think year? it might have been over the winter because I remember it being very cold, but it, we certainly... It we was a, very cold that day. We did a Simply Race uh, event and I do want to do another sim racing event. We've got karting coming up in April as well. So plenty more to come. This is, this is not us levelling off. We are pushing onward and upward into 2020. Hashtag what hiatus. <laughs> yes, we're not having a hiatus over the winter. Sorry, uh, Age Hammer has just said, Missed Apex podcast has moved up to Formula 1.5 in podcasts. I mean, that's fair. That is fair. I mean, we'll never compete with the likes of, you know, Checkered Flag and Beyond the Grid, although we could have a Beyond the Shed. I was thinking of having a Beyond the Shed segment where we interview people. Uh, but... We have overtaken the likes of Autosport in in the past, and I think we are around level pegging with them. So certainly punching above our weight. And if you wanted to award us with this year's uh, F1 podcast, uh, sorry, F, F, FB, Formula B podcast uh, award, we would certainly take that. I think it's time for some awards of our own, though. Uh, thing of the weekend. Matt Trumpets, who gets your thing of the weekend? I thought about this a lot. There are so many overtakes. But there can be only one, and it has to be the radio call between Lando Norris and Andy Jarvis at the end of the race, where Jarvis, who's leaving, gets on and says, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and starts to sound choke up. And Norris starts to make fun of him. And then he starts crying, too. I mean, oh my gosh, this is why we need people like Lando Norris in Formula One, because that was just amazing. It's a, a raw honesty and an emotional vulnerability. I think that that is sometimes mistaken for weakness, Chris. But Lando Norris, 
you talk about Lewis Hamilton, who, you know, like me, wears his, his mouth on his sleeve. Lando genuinely wears his heart on his sleeve, just not in that Yahoo testosterone aggressive way. He's just everything that Formula One needs right now. And in, in, in more ways than one, not just amazing talent, but such a, a great character off track. And that's why he's also my thing of the weekend for his helmet design with uh, his engineer. It was his last race weekend. And so he put his face on the back of his helmet design and that engineer gets to keep that helmet after this weekend, which I thought was a lovely touch. Chris Stevens at Chris on racing on Twitter. People should follow you. You do know things occasionally uh, and not all your work is bedroom based. You are out and about in the no. real world of motorsport. And as much as we hate to admit it here on the, on the, the podcast, you are a, a motorsport subject matter expert. And we have leaned on you over the last three years to give us that drumbeat of no, Nick, you disagree with that. With oh, that I point? was going to say that um, Matt's wife's work is entirely bedroom based. Oof. Okay. Now that needs some explaining. That sounds absolutely terrible. Okay. In that she writes books about the boudoir, although I'm sure the erotic uh, adventures of at a Weaver writes books is not limited only to the bedroom. I'm sure, sure. I'm sure she gets about Matt. I'm sure your wife gets about. Yeah. Well, her current one is based on astrophysics. So yeah, there will be the occasional romantic scene as part of it, but sexy, sexy space, sexy space time. Okay. Good. Uh, at Chris on racing, I was praising you. Um, it's somewhat sarcastically, but anyway, you'll take it. Uh, what is your thing of the weekend? He already did it. Oh, it was it? Lando's helmet. Yeah. Don't ever correct me again. That's, that, no, no. Uh, sorry. Yes. Correct, Nick. Thank you very much. Uh, what is your thing of the weekend? This has got to be a, a first time, but we're going to have a trifecta. I was also going to give it to Lando Norris. So for his radio, for his helmet, for his drive, he came in on lap eight and made the one stopper work, nearly held on to the position against Perez, um, which I never saw the overtake happen. So in my heart and in my mind, he held on to the position. Um, it didn't seem like the best strategy and it was just brilliant. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Max Verstappen's uh, race engineer. Do we know his name? I don't think I know his name. But anyway, uh, just the patience was incredible. No, what's going on? Well, I've got this thing. Yep, we're, we're going to sort it out. You just need to, uh, you know, relax. We're going to get a hold of it 30 seconds later. Okay, this thing is still happening. Yep, we're still looking at it. And he just it did it about eight times. And then, and then eventually he used a, a tactic, which I can tell you firsthand does not work on wives. He just came on the radio and said, calm down. We're going to sort it out. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, whoa, let's see how that goes down. And fair play, like Max did like take that. And then two minutes later... So I'm still struggling, you know, with the accelerator thing, the power thing. Straight up, there's not much we can do about it, Max. So that's my thing of the weekend is to Max's race engineer. It can't all be positivity and complimenting Lando Norris, though. We do have to do a, a bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Treeface wants to know who missed the apex for you, Matt Trumpets. This is such a tough one because there weren't a lot of really great contenders for it. Everyone sort of showed up and did a reasonable job. Ah, it just hurts. I, I, it really hurts me to, pains me to say this, but I think Stroll for just like 
driving straight into Gasly and ruining his chance of taking sixth in the championship. And then eventually retiring in ignominy when his car really just was not going to be competitive from that moment on. I know it was probably the smallest of mistakes and plenty of other drivers have made it. But in a race like this, it kind of stood out. Whose fault is it? I mean, we never played whose fault it is because there, there wasn't that much contact. But yeah, that was that was definitely Stroll's fault. It just it was the most... Like you just go, oh, for all the reasons that you could go out of the race, is somebody who wasn't even that close to you to just sort of really kind of casually understeer into your rear and then make you hit. So so he hit somebody and that made that person hit his teammate. That is as bad as first lap gentle taps go, Nick. Yeah, and when you mean his teammate, you mean Stroll's teammate, yes, right? So, yeah, Stroll's teammate, yeah. So he not only took someone out, he also potentially risked his own teammate. And uh, yeah, I'm with you there, Matt. The difference between Stroll and Perez this season, it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but it's been massive. So if any, if it, go on. Would you say astronomical? Right. Okay. So that's you, that was your fault that I forgot that Chris had done the the thing of the weekend because you started going on about sexy space times and that sent my mind racing in all sorts of directions, mainly upwards because of space upwards because that is where space is stop it stop giggling at the back detention for just, everyone just 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 pitch it to somebody else <laughs> just no i i am doggedly holding the mic i have a microphone you will listen to every damn word i have to say uh stroll has been an absolute uh i would not not a disaster it's not like he's going around punting people off the track but he's been terrible and last year i argued with matt that he had a q2 car that he couldn't get out of Q1 and me and Matt argued about that endlessly. But this season, without any doubt at all, he has had a Q2, Q3 car, which he has often, very often had stagnating in Q3. And he's been in F1 long enough now. There's nowhere to hide. He's not going anywhere. We're stuck with it. It's terrible. I'm still mad about it. In case you thought that my lack of stroll bashing was because I'd got over it or changed my mind, that that is not the case. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? So my one technically misses the apex um every single race uh but we never mention it it's drs on this one because we did actually talk about it for all the wrong reasons okay there's the there's an end in sight so everyone just be patient with drs the the sticking plaster is still on but the wound hopefully is healing underneath the uh oh and there's another reprimand for this this chat room is filth by the way so do come and join this chat room if you want to see the antics that happen you can go to youtube and search for mr apex podcast we absolutely love the live stream we have uh i think at one race review we had three thousand people come and join in at one point 700 people concurrently at any one time uh we love seeing the regulars turn up and just new people flooding in uh, and uh, it's been amazing. So go to YouTube, search for Mr. Apex Podcast, subscribe. If you do want notifications, there's a little bell. Chris? Sorry, I, di- I, I didn't even mean to catch your attention there, but it's a comment in the, the chat room, which if Matt is is picking out comments about how good looking he is for comment of the week, and then I'm going to chuck this one in from Mark Greenhow. Has anyone noticed how attractive Chris Stevens is looking tonight? Matt and Spanners look fine, but holy cow, Chris looks good. It can't just be the new camera. Wow, what is 
what's happening? This is end of season madness. Right, no, let's continue. So I don't want to upset uh, Nick, so I'm just going to take a second to think. Chris has already done his mistake. Uh, Nick, Alexander, who missed the apex for you? So um, I have another one, but I was going to say Lance. Um, and I thought potentially... Uh, it was it was a bit of a stretch, but I thought potentially if if Gasly hadn't been uh, had his race ruined, that potentially Toro Rosso could have uh, fought for another position in the constructor standings. They only ended up a few points behind Renault, which would have been disastrous for Renault. But I didn't even realize that Science was fighting for P6 with uh, with Gasly. I actually in my head I thought it was with Albon, who was just uh, a couple points behind both of them but um who missed the apex for me was was kubitsa um had a had a collision with i i forget who but um, giovanazzi clear violation of the lane system i can't believe you didn't go for a tv direction there nick oh i already complained about that but yes (sighs) um well i mean you're allowed to complain about things multiple times we that's what we do here we just beat things to death just ring the I life forgot. Out. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were you're right. Okay. Uh, we can recommend many podcasts that just stick to the point and and plan and prepare what they're going to do. Uh I I see I have to do a missed apex award as well, don't I? I think it's it would be too harsh to give it to Bottas, but I just I feel like what he did today was the minimum and the podium was on. Uh, I don't want to kick a man when he's down though, so I'm not going to give it to him. Uh Q, the Williams in general seem to be in the way. Uh, every uh, every turn so that was another contender but i think i am just going to give it to whoever it is at ferrari that couldn't uh, uh, administer an amount of liquid into the liquid holding vessel and then write down and communicate how much liquid he'd put in that is a fifty thousand pound mistake so they definitely get my missed apex award uh one left Okay, so Max Verstappen handled it pretty well, but he just kept saying the same thing over and over again. He would not be sated, Chris, by the plea to just don't worry about it, keep pushing. It's not that he was really kind of antsy about it, but he just kept saying over and over and over again. That's pony-ish. Well, he was complaining about a fault, and when you expect things to work properly, I think complaining about said fault is justified if for instance you were complaining about something that was perfectly legitimate like say you've just overtaken alex albon and he tries to to repass you into the subsequent to chain and you have to god forbid leave a car's width at the apex and then get on the radio and say we would have hit each other if I if I hadn't have heroically dived away from the apex. Are you talking about, I am, you talking about Vettel? About Sebastian Vettel. Oh my gosh! I, there's a, there's another one. Right, I, I want to redo my missed apex. The Roman Grosjean avoiding near certain death with Kvyat. I don't even know what session it was. I just saw it on the replay. Okay, so we've all done this when we, you're driving along like a road and there's someone waiting to pull out, and that person thinks that they probably could get out. So they nudge forward a tiny bit and then realize that you're too close. And then like you do that really exaggerated swerve into the other lane and like go all the way around and you're like waving your hands. Ah, you nearly killed us. But for my driving skill, that is, that is what Grosjean did. It was ridiculous. It was more dangerous to dive into the pits where people are towards the garage than it was to just break or even just hit the car. 
did anyone else see Danny Kvyat's interview? I can't remember who it was with. It might have been with mm. Fox Sports or something. Yeah. But he did an impression of Romain Grigion and it was oh, it was hauntingly yeah. hilarious. <laughs> it was. It was uh, uh, you are so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that, it was funny. It was funny to hear a Russian doing a uh, mocking impression of a Frenchman speaking English over a radio was was uh, totes, totes uh, bants. I enjoyed it lots. Good. Oh, good. Well, that's the end of the season. I I think we should end on a whimper and not a bang. <laughs> you thought I'd forgotten. I hadn't. It's time for the last award. Comment of the week. Lay it on me, Matt. All compliments to panellists are uh, not eligible to win, except for the one that I just got from someone that 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 can. Oh, here we go. Uh, Taruka says, has anyone noticed Spanners is looking especially dashing? And yes, I have noticed. Thank you very much, Taruka. There was another uh, one that just said Spanners is hot. Like we're getting so much love in the chat room today. No, no, don't, don't be fooled. They're just trying to win comment of the week. That's all they want. That prize. I can don't be- care. I take bribes. Comment of the week from Miss Apex can be added to your Twitter bio. We we approve that. Matt, who are the contenders for this honoured prize? Well, that would be Anton Beale, who said that you were hot. With an A-W. Okay, that can't win, but thank you. Um, and then we should also mention our friend Mark Greenhow, who chucked in two whole pounds to say blue shells when we were discussing DRS and push to pass and the like. As far as actual potential winners, we have Michael Diestelhoff discussing your school record, saying, so you were crying, reciting et to Brutus while running around the gym. Okay, so yeah, that was pre-show, okay? I didn't reveal my terrible GCSE results on the actual show, but thank you for bringing that up, Matt. Um, and then a much, much later comment when we were discussing my wife's books, Spanner's mind was erect. Moving on. Uh, I think we have to chuck Mirror 303 if I in there. The race was won and lost in Brackley because the Mercedes was just fantastic here. It really was. And then we move on to Chris. Uh, I hammer saying chair. Is that you at the beginning of the broadcast? Stuart Neal getting on down with your bedroom decor. Chris loves Yas Marina so much. His bedroom is an homage to the color scheme of the track. And then Vermins joining into this theme. Fifty Shades of Blue, Diaries of a Bedroom. All fantastic. Oh, is there more? Oh, good. I'm glad we're back to 17 nominees. Let's go. Uh, We're almost done because there are some for Nick as well. Uh... Obviously, Patrick Walsh, if you put a Ferrari jacket on, you should at least spin and seat for authenticity. Oh, that has to win. Clappers at Nick Alexander, about to suffer a technical failure. Uh, Connor Hinton, a new, a, new, a new contestant. Car was overweight because Vettel left a horse head in the footwell of Charles' car. Ouch. And then that would be that for our contenders. But uh, it sounds like you have a winner in mind. I, I, the spinny chair. Can we read it again? Read it again. <laughs> Patrick Walsh, if you put a Ferrari jacket on, you should at least spin in seat for authenticity. Comment of the week. He's doing it. He's doing the thing. That's your thing now. You have to do that all the time. He's spinning in his chair. Uh, if you are a podcast listener, do do go and check out the YouTube video. At times, it can be nice sometimes to come and join us and where our faces are and come and join us in real time in the live chat. We would appreciate your support as well if you fancy donating a few dollars each month. If you'd buy us a latte or a pint in the pub, maybe you'd consider going to patreon.com forward slash missed 
apex. There are some extras that the patrons get. It's not really about that. It's about supporting content creators. The content creators that you support survive. The ones that don't, they pod fade. They end up having a third terrible child and then the the other commitments start washing over them or one of them gets a, a job and has to commit less. The podcasts that are supported do survive and the only reason we survive is because of the 370 fantastic patrons of Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, we do a patron waffle cast thing which is just extra audio content. It's garbage. That is not an incentive but it's there. We've got a great Slack community and you get an ad-free feed as well. Follow Matt at MattPT55. Follow his adventurous wife at A Weaver Writes. And if you're in the New York City vicinity, you can catch me tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday at the Telus Center playing Christmas concerts. Next Friday, December 13th at the Better End. And if you are more of an old-fashioned Nick Alexander kind of person, you can come hear me play with a big band at Swing 46 on December 15th in the evening. Matt plays trumpet, by the way, in case anybody uh, hadn't realised. Thanks, trumpets. Uh, you can follow Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, Nick Alexander at Nick Alexander F1. Uh, you can catch up with more stuff that I do uh, by listening to our new podcast with me and Matt and bloggers from around the world uh, chatting inanely in my shed. It's called Welcome to the Shed. Search for that on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, We are going to be doing some TV review programs soon and our season review in three parts uh, coming up over December as well. So stay tuned to Missed Apex podcast. Wherever we see you next, please be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex. I was talking for a long time there. And like, you know, when you're saying things for ages and then you can't remember the previous things you said or if any of it made sense. I regret everything. I regret all the stuff about space. I regret allowing that. I regret inevitably not editing it out. I I regret Chris jumping on at the last minute. Uh, yeah, I regret everything. This has been a terrible you season. Love me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.